All right, then. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining our next podcast episode for Smart MS3. And I'm happy to invite David to our next show. David, you want to give a brief intro about yourself and just let the audience know about you, about your journey in physical therapy? Absolutely. Thank you, Akasha. I'm, uh, I'm so uh, grateful that you um, that you uh, reached out to me to be part of your show. Um, for your listeners, my name is David Dansrow. I am a practicing physical therapist. I'm coming on 22 years next year. I cannot believe that already. But my background um, began actually prior to that, a long, long history in healthcare because I practiced as a registered dietitian nutritionist for about seven years prior to going back for my advanced degree in physical therapy. So, um, and throughout my career span so far, I've worked in um, pretty much all phases of, of, of clinical care as well as um, uh, an influence in wellness. I've, I've had, uh, I've had um, you know, my traditional uh, brick and mortar clinical practice over the years. I also um, spun off um, my practice during the pandemic and currently uh, to a telehealth or a digital model where I do sort of a hybrid approach. Um, but in the last three years plus, I really dove into the tech side of things and the potential for um, digital um, technology and wearables really to be able to enhance PT practices. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. And I've got to say, all the stuff you've done in physical therapy so far, it's I feel like you've been kind of paving the way for folks up until now, I'd say almost, especially with COVID that kind of accelerated everything. So I, I really want to dive into the aspect of before COVID, before all this like stuff happened, before we like shifted to telehealth, you were one of the first couple of clinics to even consider the idea and actually implemented. So you were in the early days of it, and I'm sure early days, you know, there's a struggle and there's a benefit of it both. Can you yeah. talk to us a bit more about that? Yeah, I'm glad. That's a great mm-hmm. question, Akasha. And, and certainly, um, I, I I referenced in my bio sketch and sort of my mm-hmm. call to action for other PTs who are interested in exploring mm-hmm. digital or maybe just dabbling in telehealth is um, that 2% um, um, reference that I give um, is strictly out of the, the APTA during the pandemic, during COVID, um, mm-hmm. put out a, um, a, a publication that was based on a survey they did to their membership. And, and it really was just showing that prior to COVID, there was something like 2% of folks. And I was like raising my hand when I was reading it mm-hmm. saying that that's, <laughs> that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my success in um, using digital and using remote connection came out of my own um, real life experience on the patient side, having um, survived a stroke in my late thirties and being um, interested in finding ways to remotely connect um, back to other clinicians or to be able to, to take rehab into the home and yet still have those insights and benchmarks to see how I was, was doing. It was for practical reasons on my own case that I, you know, you, there's never a good time to have a stroke, but I had children at three, five and seven years old at the time. And I, um, wife is a practicing nurse still to this day. And um, I wanted to be able to be part of, um, continue to be part of my family and not being another burden where I had to be 
you know, um, carted off to rehab, you know, two or three days a week or knowing what I knew about recovery, the volume was something that I wanted to be able to um, achieve at home. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I essentially, um, to make that happen early on, um, I essentially, you know, there wasn't, you know, Zoom wasn't a thing then. Um, um, I hacked a Wii board um, because of the balance sensors on it to mm-hmm. give it, you know, ongoing feedback of where my my stroke affected my left side. So I had I had definitely had balance and, and strength and um, coordination issues that I wanted to be able to measure. Um, so playing a mm-hmm. lot of the Wii um, balance games and Wii sports with my kids was engaging for me. All those things that we talk about now to mm-hmm. give patients an insight of how they're doing. I did that early on and then connected, you know, with other conditions via things like at the time it was, it was Skype, Google Hangouts. So I kind of pieced it together and said, you know, there's real potential here. And it take, it took me, um, working in the, in the sport performance side of things and doing some of the mobile components of my practice where I was connecting with some athletes and I was connecting with some, some actors and folks that were working, um, here I'm, I'm I didn't I should have let folks know at the beginning I'm I'm I practice in Rhode Island I'm uh, stone's throw from Providence and so at the time there was a lot of filming going on in the city there was a lot of incentives for um, 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 fit the film industry coming to film in, in the ocean state here in Rhode Island so I was using technology to 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 continue to rem- to work with uh, the clients, both in sport performance, athletes, as well as um, actors when they were on set. And we needed technology because some of them were, um, you know, in and out of the city, they were filming multiple films, but they wanted to still work with me as their primary therapist. Mm-hmm. So we made that work. Um, and, um, you know, it wasn't till the pandemic when the folks, a lot of, you know, and I and I know probably your first guest, Adrian. I I, I listened to your first um, conversation with with Adrian Miranda, who's doing some great work in this space too, and I consider him one of the trendsetters. He um, um, he and I were had discussions about like how folks who were kind of not open minded about using digital or creative, educating and engaging pins when we've been shut down, they were knocking at our doors saying, hey, hey, you know, that telehealth thing you were talking about, can you help me, you know, can you help me and, and figure it out? And it was, you know, and it still is not in many means perfected, but I still feel the future of rehab is gonna have that remote connection. And I use telehealth as a global term, but it's really that face-to-face that you can get um, even remotely is invaluable for keeping patients connected, even beyond their and that's beyond their episode of care, which when usually associate with being covered by insurance, mm-hmm. digital and all the other tools are a way to keep patients connected to your practice. And that's where I think a lot of um, therapists and rehab professionals don't really get the power and the potential for it. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've coached teams remotely um, in my own town, for example, just give you one use case that you know, um, uh, coaches will reach out and say, hey, we want to do a, 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 gre- a group um, preconditioning phase where we talk about um, uh, running injury prevention and stretching and performance enhancement or nutrition prior to the start of the season. Well, they can be in the gym and they can 
remote bring me into clinic and if I'm in the clinic I can remote without getting out of the practice to come to them between appointments I can do a virtual session and then touch touch base with them with mm -hmm. other digital tools you know driving their you know home exercises and things like that just to provide the the education so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of potential still in this space and the wearables can only give more um, outcome measures that we all you know sort of the buzzword around reimbursement mm -hmm. so it's a lot of work to do but um, it, um, it it's something that really um, as I as I mentioned I've been doing this for a long time in the second half of my career I really want to be about engaging and empowering and some of that again is driven by my motivation from my own experiences with outcomes that were were done via via, via these technologies so definitely definitely I love the aspect you were bringing up um so there's one aspect of like you know helping people and I'll come back to this point later where you're sure. helping folks you know through telehealth and insurance is going to help you do that a little more but can you go in there into the point where you're saying there's one aspect a clinic can help people more virtually, but they kind of create that sense of community because I feel like that's kind of being thrown around more. There's even in, from student populations all the way up to like people in the geriatric area, community has been a big thing right now. And I've never seen, especially in like, you know, even beyond physical therapy, even like random health clinics, no one's really trying to take advantage of the fact that, you know, all these patients, they come in with similar problems if they can talk to each other, they can be, you know, motivating each other rather than the physical Ab therapist, right? Absolutely. That's such a, yeah. a powerful and mm -hmm. true point regard because I, I lived it in my last mm -hmm. clinical role consulting in our community clinic mm -hmm. where I had a very unique role that I was probably 40, 50% of my time in the clinic on the, on the uh, reimbursement side. I had a, a schedule mm -hmm. of patients I followed, but then I was also charged with exploring on the wellness and the post and the, the preventative side, but also the maintenance side. And to your spot on point, one of the, really the most, um, the, what became certainly the, the, the highlight of most of my days is when I work with my small groups for mm -hmm. that interaction that you just described. Mm -hmm. I can give you two examples that come to mind. Um, one, it was my, my neurological based program for balance and fall prevention where mm -hmm. we actually used simple balance tools and and trx if you're not familiar like it's a functional system that's just based on your body weight and we had um small groups of um a mix of patients that had vestibular disorders um, um parkinson's patients um mm -hmm. post-stroke um but they also they also shared the camaraderie around the first being accountable for each other showing up for that bi-weekly um, session, mm -hmm. but also the day-to-day -day challenges and real life things that they could talk about amongst one another because they knew each other got it, right? About turning in the kitchen to do something simple and losing their balance and, and falling. And, and those are the strategies we worked as a team to correct, but just letting individuals know that it's, that it's okay. Mm -hmm okay at this time but they're working and they're trying to do something positive and getting the feedback about you know whether it be tips or just that that mm -hmm. community support it's you know because now you know everyone is struggling with as this wears on this this pandemic 
with the mental and the just the, the the unknown and the fear of the unknown and and the other the other one I'll just mention briefly is is um, something that's really passionate to me and um, my co-founder on another project they're working on that is a digital based stroke recovery platform where early on uh, we tapped in our uh, the, our project is called enable us and our website is enabled number four us.com and we also have a podcast the no stroke podcast that you can look up k-n-o-w stroke and during the pandemic when everything was closing down we were getting requests from people all over the country because rehab facilities were closing down and stroke survivors in particular were already more vulnerable to with other comorbidities were already um, had potential barriers getting into the clinic physically. They might have relied on a ride. They might have mm-hmm. um, not been able to um, um, have the equipment at home to continue to do things independently. But one of the things we 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 um, we brought together virtual stroke rehab groups during COVID, and we actually um, we actually formed a, an online program that we launched in, in May, Stroke Awareness Month, which is called the Next Step Forward program. And, and folks can even, it's evergreen now, but we kept it on our website, where survivors from all over the, the not just the country here in the US, but the world were tapping wow. in. We had folks on the, on our, our recovery uh, program from Ireland, from, from mm-hmm. you know, from the UK, from Canada. And it was, it was like, we all short, still, share that same and same common theme like what's next like what's going to happen to my rehab mm-hmm. and and we you know we started with simple things like breathing exercises and bringing in mm-hmm. guests who were willing to come in remotely in different disciplines like occupational therapy physical therapy mm-hmm. um, psychotherapy so that we could kind of build a resource that helped people then and now mm-hmm. even so I really, I'd really glad you brought that up, Akash, because that's that's what I believe is kind of be the future of of of, of rehab with the ability to build these communities, and whether it happens during clinic. I mean, many successful models are doing that. You look at, you know, you look at the 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 the. Um, uh, the the uh, counseling model for like Omada Health and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. they they pull the power of groups in, um, and whether it be diabetes care management or cancer or stroke. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the power of um, getting like-minded people together is really valuable. Yeah, definitely. It's I think re- we're when you say rehab, it's like you're thinking mental rehab and physical rehab all together, and that's a key thing that I think everyone's forced. We weren't initially thinking of that before. We thought physically you can get better and recover yourself from there, but that push for the mental aspect and pushing others forward too—it's absolutely necessary. Absolutely. I, yeah. I keep—I uh, know this is a podcast, but I keep it. I can show you, and I'll read through. I kept something very simple on my desk, and during every session, um, I, I, I refer to it as our smart moves that we would start off, and it's just an awareness. Like, okay, it's going to be okay. So let's breathe. There's a power before you get ready to move you want to make sure you're grounded you're breathing correctly and you're mindful um and then it was like you know stay hydrated the things you can control because there's outside mm-hmm. factors with the things going crazy in the world um you know stay hydrated make sure you smile and share and that that's kind of the mental mm-hmm. you know part of engaging mm-hmm. and then i was like we don't know when this is going to end right now so at the bottom i had rinse 
uh, rest, rinse, and repeat, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you stay grounded and focused and connected, um, it, it just, you know, you got to, you know, first tell yourself it's going to be okay and then relay that to the people around you. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I've seen a certain case. So there's a hospital called the, I'm not sure you know this, it's called the Robert Ward Johnson in New Jersey. And one of the best things I've seen come out of there is they have, so there's the main hospital, that's where all like, you know, surgeries, all that stuff happens. And they have these separate fitness and wellness centers. So folks that might get discharged from the main hospital, they can do their rehab in fitness and wellness centers. And one thing I loved in there is like for, I've seen people come in Parkinson's disease or some sort of stroke rehab that they're there for. And they always create some sort of gamification. Like the one thing I loved with Parkinson's disease patient, they were doing some dancing courses. Like literally, there is all, plenty of guys, they come in, they dance, they have fun, they do their rehab in between that, and they mingle with each other. Physically, it was fun doing it then too, and then I saw them bring it virtually, and it was just as effective. Yeah. So I was thinking like, you know, they're spending thousands upon thousands of dollars here, why not invest it into the telehealth aspect where they're getting, patients first of all, getting the same amount of interaction, if not more, I think. Because yeah. they, they have less excuses now, they're at home, they don't have to drive anywhere. It's just simply open your laptop yeah. up, talk to you guys, and, you know, let your emotions out, kind of like that aspect of it. No, absolutely. Yeah. And we, you know, we have mm -hmm. very similar successful models in, mm -hmm. in, um, in our state here. Um, there's a network, and I think mm -hmm. they are national. Don't quote me on this, but, like, the mm -hmm. Rocksteady Boxing and then the Parkinson's. We have a Parkinson's group that, um, that mm -hmm. they they come in, and they're, they're that community, but it's it's – Mm -hmm. you know exercise is the best medicine in just about every condition right but mm -hmm. on parkinson's it's vital to to the longevity and to mm -hmm. being able to maintain independence and and those groups um i've been to several of them i've spoke in front of the parkinson's association local chapters here um many mm -hmm. times uh, along with the stroke uh, survivor community and the support mm -hmm. groups and and it's it's so refreshing to to it, I know coming back to that that community and that you know taking some of the clinical part away but yet they're doing rehab without doing rehab and like you said making it fun the gamification mm -hmm. is that you know that's what worked for me early on when mm -hmm. I was um, when I was trying to beat my I mentioned you know mm -hmm. a lot of my rehab was done on the Wii board <laughs> trying to beat my young son at the time three years old mm -hmm. on the Wii ski jump <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and when my balance was off and he was he was jumping 250 meters and I was jumping 35 meters, but mm -hmm. by the end of mm -hmm. a year working and playing, um, I was giving him <laughs> a good run of pretty good competition. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, I can't beat you as easy now, uh -huh. dad, you know? Yeah. But nice. there's, uh, there's a lot of untapped potential there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we need folks mm -hmm. doing like the work that you're doing mm -hmm. and folks on the clinical side that get it and mm -hmm. can actually work some of the technology into the workflows that we can bring it into some of these alternate care models that you mm -hmm. described effectively and still be able to track outcomes. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. So tell me about this. Um, I want to hear from a dual perspective because you've been on a side both of a patient and a clinician side. So kind of walk me through them both. What's the, When you made the transition to telehealth, what were the initial barriers of entry? That's really kind of in the backs of a lot of you know clinics or owners yeah. of physical therapists right now. And how can we really alleviate that with current advancements in technology? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, I think it, you know other 
rehab professionals hearing this, the first barrier is reimbursement, right? If there's no, you know, mm -hmm. follow the money is often said. Yeah. If, 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 the, if the reimbursement isn't there and we saw it when all the mm -hmm. emergency, the, you know, the pandemic, the health emergency codes that came through and the temporary lifting of restrictions that I know, I think Adrian also talked about um, when he was interviewed with you. Um, when, once those things started to lift and we certainly are still kind of in a gray area how that's all going to shake out from the fed the rebel that trickles down mm -hmm. but it's the it's it's following the reimbursement because if they're a clinic is not especially a clinic with limited funds and the in trying to um do things mm -hmm. that that patients are asking for i don't think prior to the pandemic patients were coming in and say hey i want to do pt telehealth right mm -hmm. i want to do it but um they're when when it started to get implemented the the hang up was in the delays that i you know i counsel and i work consulting with a number of private practices that they were uncertain about like the codes and the billing end of things couldn't keep up there were plenty of therapists mm -hmm. that had unsigned notes because things were literally changing by the week like e-visits rolled in in early march and that meant that Medicare was covering a telephone visit, but not necessarily a video visit. So the, the amount that was being reimbursed was not really um, making it worthwhile for patients or therapists and clinics to set aside a dedicated time during the day. Cause we all know in a busy clinic, it's back to back mm -hmm. and it's tough to, you know, not double treat, but have someone come in ready and maybe start someone on with a PTA while you have to be on the phone doing a, a virtual console. So the models, and that's what I help uh, cl clients um, work through is how to best set those practices. But initially to your question, it was the money. Um, mm -hmm. And then it was the systems were all over the map. You know, you have, mm -hmm. you know, how do I, there's a lot of questions around how do I securely do intake forms if it has to be remote? How do they get their insurance information over? And then how do I collect on a virtual visit or how do I sign off? Because a lot of the um, the EHR systems um, were not ready for that either. And some are partnered or in, per in, in the process of partnering with the patient engagement side that may have had the telehealth bolted on mm -hmm. and maybe had the outcomes tracking built in, but they weren't this you know it's these silos of care that definitely existed more so in pt in my experience working both on the clinical side with the bigger systems and then on the rehab specific side is that we're still trying to figure out like where you know what are best practices and then how do you make it you know again does the money work when you do mm -hmm. this and the therapists who initially had reservations coming in um, I have some of them that have spun off into just like myself, entirely digital practices now, because mm -hmm. one of the things that they learned from this is that there's also this patient empowerment component that takes place when you're working virtual. Mm -hmm. You cannot put your hands on the person. And if you, if there's an absolute case where you need to, you need to know when that is and when to refer out or set up a situation where you can have physical hands-on appointment. But a lot of what we do is we're movement experts, right? We mm -hmm. can see how people move, whether it's over camera or war, whether we're face-to-face -face and we're like we're doing right now, we are face-to-face -face and mm -hmm. the, the assessment technologies and the, the, the tools that will allow for telediagnosis, I think are on their way and coming. So it's only gonna 
add to the practitioner's tool set mm -hmm. to make them better at doing this. But, um, you know, a lot of people were scrambling trying to, um, you know, piece things together that mm -hmm. just because they didn't know it was already out there. And that's kind of what I do at Smart Moves PT is um, I've learned and interviewed and, and, and been part of projects where they're connecting these pieces. And I see myself as um, wanting in the other half of my career here to um, expose clinicians to new models of care delivery. Mm -hmm. And and uh, we're never going to lose. I think that's part of the other fear and the barriers. You know, we, we don't do a good job of advertising exactly what we do and when we do it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of folks only think you go to a PT when you're sick or have an acute injury or your doctor refers you after surgery. And at that mm -hmm. point, you know, it's like basic maintenance on your car. You know, mm -hmm. at that point, the check the check engine light is already on, right? The mm -hmm. doctor's referred. But if we even just stay connected with the therapist, whether it be an OT or a PT, um, you know, for those um, for those regular examinations or tune-ups, um, mm -hmm. just like you do when you're maintaining your dental health, right? You, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we could we could um, really set ourselves up truly as the movement experts and the folks that, you know, we intimately know the body and, mm -hmm. and, and more, you know, about muscles and joints and, 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 and we're not just about a particular system. Like mm -hmm. we're not, you know, just trained to look at the brain or trained to look at the heart. We're mm -hmm. trained to look at the whole body and how movement benefits the body. Yeah, no, taking that holistic point of view, I think, because I, I, I have respect. The more I learn about physical therapists, the more respect I gain for them. It's just that they don't, it's even beyond the body itself. They look at the mind, I think, to some degree. Because there's, there's, a, there's a relationship that has to be built in there, a trust yeah. that's formed and all that stuff. And without yeah. that, there's not enough, you know, there's no actual improvements being set in yeah. place. We, we have mm -hmm. such potential. There's not too many other professions where... You honestly, when you mm -hmm. start to build a relationship with a clinician, how many other clinicians mm -hmm. do you come to see multiple times a week mm -hmm. when you're talking about a can of pl plan of care mm -hmm. and trying to treat a musculoskeletal condition or recover after a surgical um, intervention? Mm -hmm. Like you do build up a, a, a friendship with mm -hmm. your clients that they, you know, you are, and every cl clinician, a good clinician will tell you, you know, you become part and things as they get to know, like, and trust you, they, they open up about other things that are definitely impacting their outcomes for the better or the worse, whether they mm -hmm. have support at home, whether they're eating healthy, whether they're getting enough mm -hmm. sleep, what medications they're on that may be improving. I mean, you know, I always use my foundation when you talk about a holistic approach, and this is an area where some of the tools and services that I'm offering uh, may be beneficial because I've I come at it from a foundation of good nutrition, and you of know, course. I, I you, you know, yeah. and it's like it, mm -hmm. if you come in for healing uh, an inflamed knee, mm -hmm. and you're 50 pounds overweight, and you're you're eating a high fat sugar based diet, I find it is it is. Um, it is so wrong to not address those things, but we're not, a lot of PTs mm -hmm. don't sometimes still, some will, and some do a great job, but others, like, 
that knee pain, mm-hmm. we're just, we shouldn't be just treating that by that diagnostic code of that knee pain. We need to take that holistic approach to give them the best outcomes. And that's mm-hmm. where, you know, nudging them along about, you know, how, you know, how, how are you staying hydrated? What did you have? And, oh yeah, well, I had that uh, 32 ounce soda before I came in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a perfect point and say, you know, you've got to think of rehab right now as fueling your body like an athlete would train. And that 32 ounce soda would never be on an athlete's plate mm-hmm. prior to performing. So we have different, and, and that's again where technology can come in and we mm-hmm. can be kind of giving a full, you know, um, a, a real holistic uh, view of what's going to get them the best outcome in terms mm-hmm. of their plan of care and their their connection with their therapist. Mm, definitely. And when you, yeah, when I love the aspect when you're t- thinking of a holistic care because at least over here at Smart MS3, well, we're thinking of, we're taking steps to getting to that holistic aspect. So we're starting off, we're looking at muscles directly, which I think it's a half of physical therapy. The other half is probably gonna be range of motion. And if you can combine both those two aspects together and let patients see themselves, that's I think it's the gateway to like truly setting something in telehealth into motion. And that's where you know, PTs literally, they give them the patients a device, patients can exercise from home and PTs do not have to rely on those, like, you know, rulers anymore for, you know, look at that stuff. Yeah, right? you know, we joke, we joke about it, yeah. too, for the folks that are know what else is out there beyond mm-hmm. the data goniometer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were, there were two really early instances with my background in nutrition that really kind of the light bulb came on talking mm-hmm. about educating the patient. Like, early on, I worked in a, in a corporate health role as a nutritionist, mm-hmm. and we were out in... And, and um, we were doing a study for the National Cancer Institute around reducing behaviors, um, high-risk behaviors in the workforce. And one was around physical activity and one was around smoking cessation and then nutrition. Mm-hmm. And one of the tools we did that was really impactful to me is that we just put, and, and this was a blue-collar workforce. We were out at multiple sites here in Southern uh, New England and Massachusetts. And um, we just put an early stage uh, motion tracker on. At the time, it was like one of the first um, um, physical motion trackers that could pick up steps. It was beyond a pedometer, had an accelerometer, it's called the Caltrack. And we put people on that were that were complaining of being tired all the time, and mm-hmm. we put it on them, and they were assembly line workers. And when we actually measured, and mm-hmm. they said they were tired, I'm physical, they, we actually measured how far, how much they were actually moving, and it was really, really well beyond any, you know, American College of Sports Medicine guidelines around daily physical. And it was the fact mm-hmm. that we could drill down and say, here, this is really what you're doing. And the reason you're tired is because you're deep conditioned. Mm-hmm. You know, and your muscles aren't strong, you, you need, so your back is fatiguing because you're, you know, there are postural issues. But it was like, when they heard and saw that, it was like, oh, really, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it was like, then we gave them a plan to change where they were. And some of them were already physically active, but for those that really needed a nudging, then you had some concrete objective data. And that was really what sparked my, one of my cases for the potential of, of technology, bringing it in mm-hmm. to impact uh, change for the patient. Mm-hmm. And I think you can take the opposite view of that as well, saying that there's definitely people that do a lot of like, you know, physical movement, construction workers, people in factories, all that stuff. But then there's a lot of sedentary jobs where they it's a complete opposite spectrum where they don't move enough, and then For they sure. have lower back pain built from there. So yeah, yeah, they might uh, be bending their elbow and uh, their wrist um, five thousand times during the day, and that mm-hmm. should be looked at from an ergonomic perspective. Mm-hmm. But then you know they're not you know, and then there are others, yes, that um, mm-hmm. that go to the other extreme. 
Raymond really um, do need another level of, of preventative and education around maintenance. So mm -hmm. for sure. Definitely, definitely. One thing I want to talk to you, this might be a little bit more on personal note, but your recovery and journey through stroke, at least. How did that kind of like the aspect of actually monitoring it? How did that kind of affect you? And how did you feel seeing yeah, recovery? That's a great mm -hmm. question um, on two levels. One on the, on the technology side and finding that like there's this, mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely different phases of care and recovery. And along with the physical impairments come, there's that isolation. There's the high rate of depression. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's a whole second level of not knowing, um, you know, when you start diving in this where Google can be, um, you know, can be dangerous is, you know, you look and you read and you're like, if you had that first stroke, you're like 57% more likely to have a second event. So you start looking at, you know, is this shortening my life? Am I going to be here for my kids that I permanently damage my brain? So my, my solution to that was to get involved in finances for folks. And, and, you know, there was one event that really, like my my stroke was was caused by a congenital heart defect and mm -hmm. um you know to this day um there's still a lot of uncertainty and, and, and a lot more work to be done because um i have a cardiovascular solution to a neuro neurological problem so the hole in my heart caused a clot to shunt and go through the 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 circulation that brought it up to my brain and caused mm -hmm. me to have my stroke. So I had a physiological fix, meaning I had an, uh, an occluder placed in my heart after my stroke to prevent me from having other events. But I learned going through this long process during my recovery, there was a whole nother community of stroke survivors that had the same condition, which is called a patent foramen ovale, mm -hmm. um, that were getting mixed um, mixed messages from their care providers. The, the common theme was like neurologists and cardiologists can't agree on the best practice and what to do for patients like me. Mm -hmm. So um, there was one one particular case and I can still remember, it was like January of 2009, I was interviewed and I was on the cover of the New York Times business section. And the title of the article was devices to avert stroke lack proof that it works. Mm -hmm. And to me, the journalist who interviewed me um, wasn't completely truthful in terms of the angle on the article. I presented my story and how having this alternative option for me really was um, life changing for me because the only other non-medical or uh, the medical model or the, the other pathway that I would have had to manage my condition for the rest of my life would be on medication. Mm -hmm. um, to really thin my blood. And at the time I was playing hockey, I was coaching and I always say that Kuminen and hockey st and hockey skates don't work well together. <laughs> so I, I worked mm -hmm. for this mechanical fix, which to this day, some 14 plus years later, I'm, I'm able to do those things that I described that would have been limited. Um, so the New York Times article really turned me into becoming the, the article appeared and then, um, with the press came folks from all different parts of the country who were mm -hmm. having the same problems and barriers to getting answers to their best care. And so, you know, fast forward many years later, um, I um, was a co-founding um, partner on the PFO Research Foundation mm -hmm. that we ultimately did some really good things in terms of um, changing that tide. I, I ended up um, testifying before the FDA 
mm-hmm. to give patients more choice and voice. Um, but in, to this day, this is one of the reasons what I'm involved with this new project for Enable Us, which is all about the aftercare. So mm-hmm. that helped to hopefully solidify the mm-hmm. um, initial part of the care. But then there's this long, you know, what the fastest, one of the fastest um, um, climbing, unfortunately, groups in, in, in the stroke population are young stroke survivors. So that mm-hmm. means their survivorship might be, like mine was in my 30s. There are plenty of young survivors that have in strokes in their teens and 20s. And that means they're surviving strokes for, you know, their their, their lifespan after a stroke can be 60 plus years. And mm-hmm. the, the old model and thinking was, you know, stroke is an older person's disease and they're not moving and they're not mobile. And our community are young we call them stroke thrivers because mm-hmm. there are folks that want to get back to doing what they were doing they want to know support like i was initially and again my back to the early um you know again i said 14 15 years now but mm-hmm. um, i was referred to a nursing home for example mm-hmm. when i was looking for community support and um lucky enough i came about the group you have a sweatshirt on here which is teddy's mm-hmm. team which is a um, uh, Teddy Bruski here in New England was a former New England Patriot and um, he had a stroke from the same condition mm-hmm. and uh, I joined up with his team and found back to our beginning conversation is that community right like-minded folks mm-hmm. all the folks that are involved with Teddy's team are want to get back to a vibrant life after stroke and that community around their mission is to run and raise funds and that was one of my goals that resonated I wanted to get back to running someday after mm-hmm. my stroke so um, those were the two big things, and that's kind of what, mm. what I'm on a mission to do now is to bring the technology and the support to a community that we know needs these things now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I think it, it's, it's important to look at the aftermath of like any, any sort of injury, even if it's a minor sprain all the way to like a major stroke. I know insurance, it's like if you go in, in person, I think most insurance give you 12 visits. If you go online, they might give you up to like 18 to 20. And then beyond that, you're kind of thinking that, you know, after that many visits, we'll just throw the patients off to the side. They'll figure it out themselves, which yeah. typically yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to figure out. I mean, for it anyone, is. even it if, is. even no matter where you come from. So yeah. it's, and in stroke, mm-hmm. you know, to your point, exactly, you know, unfortunately those visits mm-hmm. are just not enough and they'll say, well, you've hit a plateau mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, that's like cursing mm-hmm. to me when I hear that word in neuro rehab is mm-hmm. because we know the brain is capable of remodeling for a lifetime, but we don't support mm-hmm. that potential for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. If they, if someone wants, if someone's not happy with as good as it gets past that discharge mm-hmm. point, we need to have services and we need to have products, tools and technology to be able to give them and ensure they're tracking to get the best outcomes and connection mm-hmm. to a community that supports that. Mm-hmm, definitely. And do, have you, at least in your experience, have you used any technology from that standpoint? What after like after the whole rehab aspect? Yeah. So I, I, um, so mm-hmm. one of my one of my limitations um, was um, early on was with um, I hit some foot drop and mm-hmm. and um, I did my own system of bracing and wrapping and mm-hmm. and there were texts and there were great tools like for example the walk aid like is a, a neuromuscular stem um uh, functional electric stem mm-hmm. there's a lot of projects like the bioness is out there those were just coming into being mm-hmm. when i when i was there but again back to follow the money um no mm-hmm. one was paying for those things and still it's still not you know some mm-hmm. success now but you know some 15 years later mm-hmm. that's still a barrier and that's a barrier 
for me on you know looking at both sides like even in clinical practice after working with plenty of individuals who could benefit from those tools mm -hmm. I feel it's like a disservice not to mention it but I tell them right out like this is something you should look into um, may not be covered right now mm -hmm. but I think it might be something that could help you get over and I think mm -hmm. with all the digital tools and other the technology and the wearables in the background now I think it can help prove outcomes and pairing it mm -hmm. with the best tech and the right you know technology or training at that time but yeah I I relied again um, like it was pre a lot of the the um, the you know the things like exoskeletons and you see a lot of great tech coming out every day getting better and less expensive um, I was at a point where it was like the best tech I had was mm -hmm. what I saw the accuracy of like a Wii board and it was something I could afford and I mm -hmm. figured out I, I worked with someone that could kind of actually kind of hack it and pull this, some data off of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I was actually able to package and summarize kind of what my scores were and which way I was trending and how was my balance coming back to symmetry? Mm -hmm. How, you know, could I, you know, all the tests we do as clinicians, I was just doing it remotely, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I was, you know, I was jumping on calls with my friends and say, hey, is, am I anything I'm missing? You know, like, mm -hmm. what should I be adding in? Can I be doing this? When should I be doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and again, I had the foundation, lucky, very lucky to have the foundation as a nutritionist yeah. and a physical therapist having had a stroke. So my outcome was mm -hmm. definitely um, you know, it, I remind folks when they say, oh, you don't look like you had a stroke. Well, I, I get right back. Well, what is a stroke person with a stroke supposed to look like? And mm -hmm. I know people see the worst, but there are many stroke survivors who may have subtle um, deficits that they mm -hmm. battle with every day that they put their best face on. But they mm -hmm. know they could get better if they had someone that got it and could help them over that that mm -hmm. barrier. So. Um, it's, um, you know, obviously my, my passion for the stroke community is coming through here, but um, I just, I, I, I say this because I know like with your tech background, I, th I know you get it from the people you've interviewed. Um, I just, we just got the, have to get the right people to understand that, you know, um, we need to be able to marry these two disciplines together um, mm -hmm. to, to help more patients. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I think, at least speaking from the insurance side, um, I've seen a lot more technology. CPT codes are a lot more getting approved right now. I think one good one, just regarding pain itself, it's a cool company. It's called Enzo. So they re Hinge Health recently acquired them. Okay. And literally, what it is, it's 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 an e-stim. You put it anywhere you're aching, at least. Like I think the the way they sold it was like if you have lower back pain, you put the device there. It does a little e-stim action and gets rid of your pain. So it's instant pain relief, kind of. And a lot of people kind of bought onto that and. The only issue was at the founder of the company, he kind of told me that the starting point, it was a bit weird because definitely the problem exists there, but insurance wasn't there at the point that he was building it. So it was a great solution. It took a little longer than it really should have because, you know, if you can get instant pain relief, why not? That's probably better than, you know, taking Tylenol or other opioids. opioids. Absolutely. So yeah. eventually the CPT codes kind of came into play. Everything kind of sped up and that device, the company got acquired. And I'm looking at biofeedback tools that they're, they've been, you know, their CPT codes are popping out left and right now, especially remote patient monitoring ones. People can say that the, their CPT codes for like your first visit, setting it up at a clinic, the other 20 minutes you send up, setting up at another clinic. If you spend extra time at a clinic, there's other codes popping up. So the money side I think is definitely coming to play now because 
it's it's just I becoming agree. a necessity because the market yeah. at the end of the day market's going to control everything so yeah and i think that you know that's mm-hmm. if there's any good thing that's come out of this you know tragedy of the mm-hmm. of the pandemic is that you know there's been a lot of movement and momentum a lot of groups really mm-hmm. helping to push this digital first or this ability to actually get some of these things mm-hmm. um tested in at a faster speed but a safe speed but also to be able to mm-hmm. to make it attractive so clinicians will adopt them because now they know that there's mm-hmm. a mechanism to get reimbursed yeah so I feel like it's coming together a lot. It, it sped up within the last two years, at least. But yeah. now that people understand it, especially from a generic point of view, because I doubt many people knew what EMG sensor or what a gyroscope would do for you. It's all seemed kind of, you know, in a clinical setting, it made sense for diagnosing some diseases, but no one really thought it was going to be a, a consumer application. And mm-hmm. now that you show them, you're like, they're like, oh shit, like this is makes sense to me now, right? Yeah. So. That, that drastic, I think, shift in, first of all, mental models for clinics, them understanding, hey, we don't need a clinic itself. We can probably just work with people online. And then yeah. patients understanding, I know it's physical therapy, but I don't have to physically be there. I can do it myself. So You get over some of yeah. the barriers of getting to uh-huh. clinic, finding time to either get help to get there mm-hmm. or get support, get, get someone to look after your young children you might have at home mm-hmm. uh, and... I, there's a big upside and I you know I have it right on the tagline on my smart moves PT site you mm-hmm. know the digital revolution is here yeah. you know and I tell clinicians don't don't get lost mm-hmm. because you can either deny it mm-hmm. and the big thing I, I say is like and it's it just hits home I can say mm-hmm. you can you can either you can either be like a blockbuster mm-hmm. who thought they had the best thing going or you can be a Netflix or you could be mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle but you you have to decide how mm-hmm. you're going to position your practice for the future because digital is going to impact it already has mm-hmm. and the folks that you know obviously like you mentioned a couple of the the, the the players are getting big investment like like the money's going into it it's just mm-hmm. a matter of like you want to keep brick and mortar practices viable but you're going to have mm-hmm. to innovate to to be able to stay viable in mm-hmm. this new you know digital first economy mm-hmm. definitely i mean just I'd like to do some closing remarks. I mean, sure. We've we've discussed at least the highly nature of just us going to digital front right now, and it's kind of become a necessity. Just how we're functioning as our lives, because if we were able to stay at home, like I, I look back at it now, we were home for a year and a half, like you know, anywhere between twelve to eighteen months, and we survived that long. So if we're able to adapt that quickly, it's gonna be. I think easier to adapt in the healthcare sense that, you know, if stuff gets easier, we're probably going to go down that pathway, right? Yep. It's just a matter of how fast can companies build the products and how fast can clinics just take them and start rolling with it. It's acceptance at this point, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well said. Mm-hmm. And I just want to, as we're ending the podcast, I know we're kind of hitting the end of it. Do you have anything you want to say to the audience? Anything you're, I know you mentioned a lot of stuff you're working on. Anything you want to yeah. highlight right now? Let them know. Yeah, no, I, I just would love to, you know, if, if anyone, mm-hmm. if anyone on the clinical side is mm-hmm. interested in learning more about some of the work I'm doing, um, it's, I would send them to smartmovespt.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also hit me up on LinkedIn, David Dancero. Um, mm-hmm. And I really want to, um, you know, maybe just give a final, um, you know, playback to the thing that's most passionate to me right now with my co-founding partner enable um enable us is that 
um, you know, we do have that resource of our growing podcasts at No Stroke uh, Podcast. Um, we've brought in a lot of um, tech guests to mm-hmm. showcase some of the potential for technology for recovering gait and upper extremity mobility and all the different uh, barriers that some of our stroke community benefit them to know about some of the emerging technologies. Um, mm-hmm. So I would encourage folks to, um, you know, maybe listen to an episode or two of the podcast um, and connect with our community at mm-hmm. enableforus.com because um, we want to bring more, um, shed more light onto um, this community component that we, I think you uh, did a great mm-hmm. job bringing that up that, um, you know, and unscripted because mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't talk about that. No, um, we didn't. But, but, but it was like you, what you're doing, you, you, mm-hmm. you understand the power of that from, mm-hmm. you know, interviewing all the folks that you interviewed for your company as well. But that's, um, that's something that's desperately needed now more than ever. And I would just say, um, if anyone wants to reach out and learn more, either uh, jump on the podcast or uh, or either of those two websites would be a great way mm-hmm. um, to follow up. So mm-hmm. I really I really appreciate it. It's been great getting to meet you over the mm-hmm. last couple of sessions, and um, I really um, I wish you well as well. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe at some point we'd um, as you move along, and when you're ready, I'd love to maybe have you on our uh, our our show to uh, mm-hmm. highlight great work that you're doing as well <laughs> of course of course and it, yeah likewise it's just pleasure learning from other folks that have you know the amount of experience and knowledge you've accumulated over the past you know two decades you can say yeah it's, i've been in it a long time yeah, so i'm glad to share yeah <laughs> so it's all this stuff is amazing but it was a pleasure having you here i'll definitely the links you're talking about i'll put them into the description below so anyone that is interested Super. they can go there and yeah it was just awesome having you here and yeah well best great. of luck to the future of pt and, i guess and, yeah, super. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. And we made it through the show without losing power in the middle of this storm here. So Definitely. Great job. Perfect. Hey, thanks again. Bye. Awesome. Bye.